0: The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words and no white lies. No token prayers, no compromise. I wanna shine the light You gave through Your Son You sent to save us from ourselves and our despair. It comforts me to know You're really there. Oh, I wanna. my heart. that set me free I want to tell Share the love that set me free,
1: ripping to shreds the nation of Egypt, touching their food supply, destroying so much of the nation's infrastructure. And then comes the terrible darkness. Three days, no sunshine, no moon, no stars. So dark you could not see your hand in front of your face. So dark that a torch seemed to be extinguished by the darkness. And then the Lord speaks, again through Moses. And he says, take a lamb, one year old. Bring it home with you. Make it a pet. Keep it for four days. After four days... With all of the leaven or all of the yeast removed from your house, take this precious little lamb right at the entrance to your door and slay it. Cut its throat, let the blood flow. Then take hyssop and put blood on both sides of the door and above the door. We know now the symbolism was the crucifixion of Jesus. Hyssop was an indicator of humility. Then a day is declared called the Passover. The Passover was an Egyptian word, Pesach, meaning the covering, the wing of God. And now over all of the Hebrews is to be the wing of God covering them while God brings judgment on the Egyptians because they would not let God's firstborn son go free. He said, Israel is my firstborn son. You will not let him go, and so I'm going to take the life of your firstborn son, Pharaoh, and of every family in the nation, and also all the livestock, the firstborn is going to die. This was not just for the Hebrews there were others who had seen the destruction that had been wrought on Egypt. And they said, we are safer with the Hebrews than we are with the Egyptians. And so they also put the blood on their doors. And the angel of death passed over. Can you imagine the conversations the little children asking daddy why he was killing their pet lamb. What the blood meant. And when dad told them that an angel of death was going to pass over all of Egypt, and if the blood was not in the appropriate places, that Isaiah, the oldest son of the family, was going to die. I'm sure the children then said, please put the blood on, can we do it right now? No one was to go out of the house. Please understand the symbolism. There is a pasach of God as Christians that has been spread over our lives. And the only safety is to remain under that covering wing of God. And as soon as we begin to rebel against God and act in ungodly ways, we leave the protective covering of the wing of God and we are wide open for the death angel to take us. The death angel passes. Every household, there is weeping over the dead. They want the Hebrews gone because they believe that if the Hebrews remain in their land, they too will die. Who's to say that just the eldest is going to die? Maybe we're all going to die And in a great panic of heart, they pay the Israelites. They give them jewels, gold, and silver. They give them garments, clothing. The promise of God is that they escape from Egypt and that their clothing will not wear out, the feet will not swell. They are under the Pesach of God. They are under the wing of God. They go out. 600,000 men, besides women and children. The best estimate is close to 4 million people. They leave Egypt at the end of the 430 years to the very day. Now imagine the sight. They don't have much to carry, they don't have moving vans. They probably have some wagons, they have herds of, of sheep, they have goats. They're all leaving. They're being led out. They were not an unruly mob. They went out in order. But they did so quickly. Can you smell the dust and hear the sounds? As mom and dad try to keep the kids close, they're excited. What an adventure they're on. As the sun rises, they see a huge cloud blocking the hot rays of the sun. They see, literally, the wing of God. Now, as they go out, it's very interesting... They were armed for war. They had swords. They had spears. They were armed for war. But God led them in chapter 13 of Exodus, verse 18. God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. There was a shorter way to go to Cana land. They did not take the short road. Very interesting why. Because the scriptures say if they had gone through the Philistine country, the Philistine people would have risen up and come out against them, and they would have immediately been plunged into battle. But God knew that they were armed for battle physically, but emotionally and mentally. They were still slaves. They were not ready to fight for their freedom. They had a slave mentality. And because of that, God led them the long way. Because he was afraid they would all rise up in rebellion and go back to Egypt and say it's easier to be a slave than to be a free man. I'm not sure if you understand yet. Have you ever found yourself doing something that you know that God does not want you to do? Because it's easier to go back to your slavery to sin than to fight for your freedom in the spirit. It's easier to let the old thoughts of despair and discouragement come than to fight through and gain the victory and trust in Jesus. So often we fall back to our default position. Because we are unwilling to get on our face before God and face the pain of the fight. That's what God was afraid of for the children of Israel. That they would rather go back to the pain of their slavery, their addiction, instead of being willing to fight for their freedom. You see, Pharaoh said there were only two choices. Serve me or die. There's a third choice. The third choice is to serve the living God of heaven. So God led the children of Israel out. Chapter 13, verse 21, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now I want to show you something that I do not understand but I've experienced it time after time after time. They were following the cloud. They were following the leading of God. And God led them into a trap. They could have gone another way, and they could have had a wide open space ahead of them where they could have fled, or they could have turned with their weapons and fought against the Egyptians. The problem is the Egyptians had tanks of that day. They had chariots with blades on the wheels, archers, Spears thrown from their chariots. Cracked troops. God led them into a trap. The desert is on both sides. The Egyptians are behind. The Red Sea is in front of them. On one side in the desert, there is a garrison, a military outpost. On the other side, there is a a fortress, a temple of a heathen god. They can't flee anywhere. They are trapped. And God led them into the trap. We often want to blame the devil for our problem. It's often not the devil, it's God. He leads us into a place where there's no possibility of our escape. There is no possibility of ever being able to rescue ourselves. Now, why would God do that? Because as long as you hold to the illusion that there is some possible way that you can deliver yourself, you will not ever submit to the living God of heaven. As long as you have that Nile River flowing into your life and you think everything's going to be fine, all I have to do is endure, you're never going to serve the living God of heaven the only way God can seem to get our attention is to bring us into a place of absolute immobility. Where we then have to choose. Will we go back to our old life? Will we go back to our addictions, to our lusts, to our bitterness, to our anger? Will we go back to that? Or will we simply stand and wait on the deliverance of God in our lives? They encamped by the sea. It looked like they'd been wandering around. In verse 3 of chapter 14, Pharaoh will think. The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. So here are four million people, and it looks like they don't know where they're going. Do you ever feel like you don't know where you're going? Where you're trapped right here, you, it, there is no way of escape that you've been able to figure out how to make it happen. You're just trapped. You can't go back to where you were, you've burned your bridges. I was facing that this week. I recognize I, can no, I cannot go back and find a life with my precious wife who now has gone on. I can't go back to Jan. She's not here. She's with Jesus. I can't go back. I can't go forward. What do I do? I've spent my life as a pastor. And God will bring me through a deliverance, and then he'll run me right back into that trap. All my life, that's what's happened to me. Where's the place of escape? This church today... Both personally and corporately, we are at the Red Sea. What do we do? What's the next step? Now, you may be able to go out and continue your work of slavery, go back to Egypt. You can say what matters is that I have the car I want, the house I want, but you know what? You're going to die. I mean, just look in the mirror. Do you look like you looked 10 years ago? None of you do. Either you're growing up or you're growing old. Step on the scale. I've known some of you a few years. You don't look like you did when I met you. We change. Every day our bodies are changing. So we can go back to Egypt, but we'll die there. Or we're in the trap of God, and we now wait for him. Remember, you serve Pharaoh, the world, or you die. That's the lie of our culture. You can never escape. You're always going to be in bondage. And the children of Israel many times came to this place, and the scriptures tell us later that they built up their courage, and they began to think positively And again, they went out and tried to create what they wanted for themselves. And their lives were crushed. And then they would rise up with positive thinking. They would reach out to the Babylonians, or they would reach out to the Egyptians, or they would reach out to the Assyrians, and they would make alliances with them, and they would try to move forward once again. And finally, God said, you're always going to do that. I've tried to refine you, I've put you in the fire, I've done everything I can to try to convince you to turn aside from your wicked ways. Because I can't, the Assyrians are going to come and take you captive. The Babylonians are going to come and you will leave this place and your temple will be destroyed. Well, that's not what I want in my life, do you? We can create the illusion through positive thinking for a short time that I can go out and do what I want to do, and life is a bowl of cherries. I tell you what, you'll find out it's full of pits, too. We have to finally come to a place where we recognize that our life is not our own. Our life is owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we go back, we die. If we go back, we die. The Egyptians are thinking. They're saying, What have we done? All of these plagues on us were just natural occurrences. They were random occurrences, and now we have lost all of this infrastructure, and we've also lost our slaves. Let's go after them, and let's bring them back. We'll kill the leaders, and we'll bring these people back, and we'll use them to rebuild Egypt. So Pharaoh marshaled his army, and by the way, it's of interest to me that the only part of the infrastructure of Egypt that had not been touched were the military forces of Egypt. They were completely intact. So now the military sets out, the troops, the horses, the chariots, and they go after the children of Israel. The spies have already brought back the reports. They're wandering around in the desert. They don't know where they're going. Totally blowing off everything that has happened in their nation and saying it was just happenstance. It wasn't really God. We have a very short memory. We quickly forget both the blessings and the disciplines of the almighty God of heaven. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites saw the dust of the cavalry, of the chariots, the men running, And they knew it was the Egyptians coming after them. They were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. I wish they had cried out to the Lord with supplication, believing in the mighty God of heaven. I wish they had cried out to God, repenting of their unbelief, But they quickly stop crying out to God because they're only complaining to him. And they say to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They see only two options. Either serve Pharaoh and be like the world, or die. Those are your two options. Either go back to your old sins or be miserable. Either go after money, or you're going to be poor. You're going to die. Now, what I love about this story is that they were out in the desert by this time. And they couldn't go back. Now, what I'm concerned about are those of you who are still serving as slaves in Egypt. And you think you have no option because you have a modicum of comfort in your world. You can work many hours, you can be very creative in your job search. But, bottom line, you have to take care of what you have to take care of. You have to keep your slave masters happy. You have to pretend that you're happy. Never mind that your heart is hollow and sick. Never mind that you know where the path lead you if you go back to Egypt. But somehow you can hang on believing that life will somehow change and get better. I can't tell you how many times I heard my dad say, Ray, if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. Have you ever heard that? It's true. You keep fighting, you'll keep getting bitterness. You keep condemning, you'll continue to be condemned. You keep judging, you'll continue to be judged. You keep striving after money, you'll continue to be poor in the spirit. There has to come a place where you finally recognize that you have a very short time to live on this earth, and then you die. Where are you going after you've died? There are only two places, heaven or hell. Which will you go to? This time we have here is given to us in order as probationary time to prove what is in our hearts and what is it we really want. Do you want the way of the world or do you want the way of Jesus Christ? And every man and every woman, every boy and every girl has to answer that question. What is it you really want? And what are you willing to do in order to get it? And if you want to follow Jesus, it'll cost you everything. And the world is going to have to be cut off. And you're going to have to give your full time and your full energy to the journey toward heaven. And there is a crucifixion involved. There is a rendering that is involved. There is a boiling that is involved. So the children of Israel, they're terrified. They cry out, they complain, they moan, they groan. They had an awesome opportunity to rise up in faith and trust Almighty God. They had already seen what he could do. But now their pain was so great, they turned back and condemned Moses and God. Now, I want to say something that Some of you may not understand, but you need to. That God inevitably will walk you into a situation where you cannot get out of it on your own. Any person who decides to be serious about following Jesus will be brought by God into a circumstance where they cannot deliver themselves. It's a way of God And most likely, he will bring us into that place time after time after time. But, in the beginning of your walk, he will not judge you for turning to bitterness and anger. But as time goes by, if you do not grow out of that babish attitude of turning in bitterness and anger, complaining and grumbling, God will begin to bring judgments on your life that if you don't repent will destroy you. So God in the beginning quickly forgives and opens the way. I'll give you an example. Remember the story of Abraham? When he brought his son, Isaac, and offered him as a burnt offering to the Lord, and the Lord said, stop, don't do it, now I know. What What would have happened had God brought that kind of severe test to Abraham when he just came into the land of Canaan? Well, he did. He did bring that test. He brought a famine on the land, So there was no food and there was no money. Abraham headed for Egypt. He went to the world and he said, I'm going to work things out in the world. And God had to rebuke him by having Pharaoh exile him from Egypt and shaming him. And God rescued him. Had God brought the severe test of Isaac at the beginning, he probably would not have gone to Egypt. He probably would have turned around and gone all the way back to Haran. He would have utterly thrown out following the Lord God of heaven and would have said, this is insanity. So some of the tests that some of you are going through who are more mature in Christ look like insanity to the world. Because God gives progressive testings. Because each test brings you more deeply into the heart of God, changes you, and brings you in the likeness of Jesus until finally he can use you for the work of the kingdom. Understand, please, God's purpose is to make Israel a nation of priests. God's plan today is to make you a priest in the house of God, an emissary of God, an ambassador of God, who knows how to go to the ungodly and speak a word to them that causes them to repent of their sin. In other words, our task is to bring the lost to Jesus, where we work, where we travel, in our families. But before we're ready to do that gospel work of redemption, We have to go through some testings. Please, today, I'm not trying to scare you off. I'm trying to give you truth in advertising. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands crucifixion. It demands everything. But he gives us progressively harder tests until every time a test comes, our hands are lifted up and we praise the name of Jesus And we stand and wait on the Lord. Now, I want to read to you what it says. Do not be afraid, stand firm, or literally, be planted. Be planted. Don't move. This is a spiritual reality. Please understand, you have to understand and know that God is a spirit. Your spirit is the very essence of you. You use your hands either to build up the kingdom of God or you use the members of your body to tear down the kingdom of God. You offer your hands and your feet and your body to do wickedness or to do righteousness. But it's not the hand doing it. It's the spirit inside of you who is doing it. That's why it was spoken of during our time of prayer. The furnace of sin that burns in the heart of every man and every woman, every boy and every girl. Now we subdue it. But the furnace is burning and raging until finally, as we pass through the testings of God, that furnace is put out and the fire of God comes into us. You either have the fire of the devil in your heart or you have the fire of God. You cannot have both. The fire of the devil destroys you the fire of God heals you and restores you. And you come to this dividing line and you say, okay, am I going to go north or am I going to go south? Am I going to choose to lie and cheat and steal and lust? Or am I going to choose to walk holy with my hands lifted up Praising the name of Jesus, knowing that He alone is my deliverance and that He's sufficient for that deliverance. Most of us have run back and forth between these two like a chicken with his head cut off, flip flopping every direction. It's time to stop and to say, I will serve Jesus. He said, stand firm. Don't be moving back and forth. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. So God will bring us into a trap. He'll bring us into a place of testing. And if our hands are lifted up and we praise his name, he delivers us. And he doesn't take us back that way again. He takes us on to the next test. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. You only need to be peaceful. Some of you, I fear, are addicted to drama. Angry words, harsh thoughts, bitterness. The way to get ahead is to kill. He's saying, be still, be peaceful. Don't try to go out and Fight the enemy. Trust me. Stand still. Be peaceful. I'll deliver you, he says. And you'll never see these enemies again. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? I want you to see that Moses, as their leader, also had to Go through the test. Moses is down on his face before God. And I'm sure from the from the scriptures, Moses was saying something like, God, you've brought us out here to this desert place. Now, are you going to let us die here? Or are you going to raise up a deliverance? And God says to Moses, what are you talking about, Moses? Of course I'm going to deliver you. There's no question I'm going to deliver you. Do you think I've invested all of this work and all of this time and energy to let you be killed by the Egyptians? Of course I'm going to deliver you. Could you hear that? Do you think God has invested all of the time and energy in your life in drawing your heart to him? just to let the devil come and destroy you. There is not a chance. You are the beloved of God. He's not going to let Satan come and steal you out of his hand. He's put too much time and money and energy into you. And he wants a payday from you. He wants you peaceful and holy and filled with love. He wants you reaching out to others and sharing what he has done for you. God's called you. He wants you. In every group of people, when new people come in, the social scientists tell us the first question on their mind is, is there room here for me? Will I be accepted? Can I just tell you, please, you've been accepted. There's a place for you in the kingdom of God. You're not here by accident. He drew you here. He wants to do something awesome in your heart and in your life. He wants to deliver you. Raise your staff, Moses. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who was traveling ahead of them moved to the back and stood between them and the Egyptians. So the Egyptians could not see them. And then a mighty wind from God begins to blow, tearing at the waters, separating the waters. He did this with a giant hair dryer. He dried the ground. He separated the waters. We know today that there is a land bridge out of Egypt into Saudi Arabia. I believe that's where they crossed. You see, it could not have been Mount Sinai because Mount Sinai was in Egypt. They were delivered out of Egypt, not into Egypt. And when they crossed that land bridge on dry ground, the Egyptians followed and the waters came crashing in on them, drowning them. Divers in this area have actually found chariots on the bottom of the ocean. The wheels, I've seen them. It's amazing. But we can't go into Saudi Arabia in that area because it is a secret military compound. That whole mountain. I wonder someday if that's going to be opened. Some men did go there and they saw a lot. And then they were arrested and they were put in prison, Americans. They were finally released. I'm eager for the day that portion of Saudi Arabia can be opened to see the mountain of God. It must have been an eerie sight. Fire in the sky giving that red glow to everything. The ferocious wind blowing to part the waters. The waters being held back probably 40, 50 feet reared up in the air on both sides. wonder what the children thought. They walked through boldly. It was the deliverance of God. They were under the wing of God. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. There's another passage of Scripture in the New Testament that I'd like to share with you. It's found in the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans 8 is the... Chapter of the normal Christian life in Jesus Christ. I'll begin with verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, The danger of a sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Almighty God. Mighty God of heaven. Some of us are facing a Red Sea today. And we see no way of escape. And we come today knowing that you alone are our deliverance. And that it was you who brought us to this trap. And today, by faith, we lift our hands before your throne. And we say, we trust you, Jesus. You are our deliverer and our redeemer. And regardless of what is going to happen in the physical realm, even if we perish in the physical realm, we know in our spirit we are one with you. Lord, I pray today that those who cannot say that, Lord, I pray that those today who are still considering Egypt as a possible location for their life, that you will utterly call them out. That every person in this house would walk a straight and narrow path and let the love of Jesus fill their hearts. Lord, thank you. Have your way today. Especially, Lord, bring the gift of repentance to those who are walking in rebellion. For anger. We're for walking as the children of Israel in unbelief and grumbling and complaining, Lord, forgive. Lord, let there not be one word of grumbling heard in any house of this congregation this week. Let there only be the sounds of praise and worship. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon great joy,
0: with great joy Now unto him who was able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless